Andrea coming in from my bedroom. It's currently 10.39 p.m. and I want to go ahead and discuss with y'all some relocation due to climate change. And uh, yeah, let's just dive right into it. So I looked up about three articles discussing, you know, the issues based on climate change. So this first article is called Revisiting Planned Relocation as a Climate Change Adaptation Strategy, the Added Value of a Human Rights-Based Approach. And so I quote, according to estimates, 600 million people live in areas within 10 meters above sea level today, end quote. So basically, a lot of people are either going underwater or, or their land is drying out due to extreme weather and climate change. Um, there is funds available for this type of situation, but the cost of adaptation to climate change isn't as high as it should be, especially since these types of drastic tragedies are extremely expensive to recover from, and since most of the tragedies and climate change disasters are more common in developing countries, that also kind of gives us a hint that there's not much awareness and attention that should be going into these issues. So, the, the, um, so basically another obstacle in this planned relocation lies in the fact that, our, you know, since this already has been occurring, we already have some past experiences that aren't as the best as they could be, especially since this is kind of a new trending um, issue. So there is a lot of mistakes that the government has made in, in regards to how well plan relocation should be and how they should provide for uh, resettlements. So um, it just kind of makes it clear that national governments don't even want to engage in something that's going to backfire and not go as well for them. So um, some cases are worse than others, but it's always good to acknowledge that we can do better and avoid you know, those mistakes that we made in the future. So some of the things that we should acknowledge when we are trying to help people resettle and adapt to their new environment would be to acknowledge their rights as a human. So here this article kind of provides some of the rights that are impacted or violated due to plan relocation and adaptation. And here I'd like to read the article that has the list of the rights that we should have protected 
in issues and cases like these, such as the right to life. You know, the right to life includes how we are fed, our health, you know, protecting babies, elders, um, things just like that. So anything related to how we should, you know, live comfortably and healthy and safe is a huge, huge reason why I should be protected. The right to adequate food. We should be able to have regular, permanent, unrestricted access to good quality food that can sustain us and also benefit us due to our culture and traditions to ensure, you know, we're not going insane or living in fear with the current situation. Which I feel would kind of help, you know, to have your own cultural food when, you know, bad times like these occur. It would be even more strange to eat another culture's food when you're already in a different location. So it would help a lot for people, I would say. The right to water as well. Super important to have during, you know, climate change-related effects um, because, you know, when people are being relocated from rural to urban areas, kind of, um, there are locations that are built illegally or unsafe just so space is provided since we're already kind of reaching that overcrowded, overpopulation issue as well. So it's super important that People who are being relocated have resources to clean water because, you know, lots of illnesses could occur, diseases, they're being exposed to water that has, like, parasites or just not sanitary for them. Which leads to the next right, the right to health, the enjoyment of, you know, equal access to health of all various people, including with disabilities, you know, traditions. It's super important to include that for people who are relocating, which would also include healthy food and healthy, you know, safe drinking water, and just overall a sanitary, healthy environment. You know, they're not exposed to, like, you know, chemicals from, like, factories or, you know, would be a violation of their right if they're being relocated to a place where they are, with the chances of getting sick due to the location that was chosen for them, that's a violation. You know, we should not be, um, having to suffer more because you're being relocated. You know, you should be safer, you should be comfortable, not the other way around. You know, um, the right to adequate housing as well, you know. You should be having a secure, peaceful place that you can have, you know, some sort of dignity. Not, you know, feeling homeless or feeling like you don't have anything anymore. You know, adequate housing 
gives us our own sense of worth. And when we're being placed in somewhere we're seen as unworthy or seen as, you know, less than, it can truly be detrimental to, you know, our mental health. So, it's good to be aware of, you know, the dimension that you're living in, whether it's cultural, religion, or just some sort of, um, you know, where you live is kind of how you identify yourself. So if you're living in a place where you're just, you know, completely lost, you're not gonna, you know, be able to come to your own senses as you normally would. So it's always good to have, you know, some sort of cultural space where people are able to, you know, express themselves. And also, we do have the right to not be forcibly evicted. People cannot force you to leave your home, no matter how badly flooded it is. Like, it is ultimately your choice to pack your bags and say goodbye. Um, as bad as it sounds, you know. And some people might be surprised that, you know, you would think someone would leave if their house is being flooded or going up in flames, but there's also more that goes into that, such as, you know, religion or family, you know, how do you leave that behind when that's literally all you know, um, your community, the way that you're culture, you know, is based from, comes from the environment that you, you know, that you live in. So, there's an example here, the article says that the people of Tuvalu, in spite of frequent workshops and statements by officials of climate change and the danger of sea level rise, are still not convinced of the urgency of the problem and are extremely reluctant to leave. So even though they've been notified that climate change is, you know, about to take out their land and be, you know, not livable anymore, you know, they still don't want to leave because they believe that their religion will, you know, take it into its own hands and nothing will happen to them. So I feel like that might relate to other people in other countries, whether it's the United States or, you know, outside of that, religion does make people, you know, stand their ground and say, no, like, my God is telling me that we're going to be okay. They, you know, he's not going to, whoever their god or whoever they worship will protect them against climate change, which is, you know, a reason for them to stay. Whether that makes sense to us or not, it's, it's a part of the research, so think of that what you will.
in respectful terms. The next right is the right to work and the right to educate. They freely determine their political status and freely pursue their economic, social, and cultural development. So people have the right to, you know, self-determine who they are and how, how they thrive in society. So when, you know, your land is going underwater or going up in flames, the state laws that protect you in that land kind of go with it, which I found that really shocking because if you were to like move to another state or another country, obviously they have different laws and different uh, rules about, you know, their livelihood there. So why do, why does our, our, you know, state laws have to go with the land when it should be a basic human right? You know what I'm saying? I quote, without territory and potentially statehood, both the individual and collective rights of a people are no longer adequately protected by their state and are thus increasingly vulnerable to potential violations. Like, and that is so messed up for them to just declare that and strip away the rights that they have had for as long as, you know, whether they were born there, whether they moved there because of that fact, that that won't even apply to them anymore. Make that make sense to me. The next right is the right to development. So the right to development is here, I'll just quote it for you. The right to development integrates civil and political rights with economic, social, and cultural rights and calls for such a level of development in which all human rights and fundamental freedoms can be fully realized. So therefore, the right to development should, you know, acknowledge human rights and fundamental freedoms. And just as I was saying in the previous right, the right to self-determination, the right to development should go hand in hand with that because, you know, you can't just be having your rights stripped away from you. They need to be acknowledged and need to be, you know, they just have to be recognized that they come with you whether you're being re re relocated and having to adapt to somewhere that you didn't have, you know, the, the option to do, you know? So why should my rights be stripped away? Because huge fossil fuel companies are causing my land to go further and further into the ocean. It doesn't make sense. So, that's the first article that I read. I thought it was super interesting, and I recommend y'all read it too, because this is a lot of stuff we don't think about, and 
what rights are being violated due to relocation and people are going through that today they were going through that yesterday and probably 10 five years ago too so yeah just wanted to make that known to you guys and uh, hope you like this little chat the next article i'd like to discuss will be the moving stories latin america which kind of talks about how Latin American countries are going through this as well in terms of relocation and how, you know, they're kind of dealing with that. So, stay tuned. Hello. Um, I really wanted to share the Moving Stories Latin America article with you all because I found it really interesting how, you know, developed developing countries are more likely to be kind of swept under the rug and not acknowledged as much as they should because they're developing countries. So I wanted to address the the issues that are occurring lately and how the Latin American countries are you know, battling these issues with climate change, extreme weather. We'll just dive right into it. So, many of these countries are actually located on the hurricane belts, which means that they are more likely to be struck by, uh, you know, hurricanes and floods and, you know, a lot of flooding and water in their area and their agricultural sectors are even at high risk because they provide a lot of produce for us at least they used to if you heard about the avocado dilemma how you know America's not going to be buying avocados from Mexico due to this whatever and so you might see a increase in price with avocados because we're not going to buy them from Latin America anymore anyways since 1998 the melting ice in Patagonia has contributed to about 2% of global annual sea levels I'm quoting from the article itself so that means that there's a numerous amount of ice melting in the region because you know climate variability and extreme weather over you know recent years and this includes you know intense you know rainfall as it rains a lot in latin america but now it's so much that they're struggling with their, with their, sorry, with their own, um, community and agriculture. I'll quote the intense Venezuelan rainfall from 1999-2005, flooding in Argentina 2000-2002-2007, the Amazon drought in 2005, hailstorms in Bolivia 2002 
in the greater Buenos Aires area 2006. The unprecedented hurricane Katarina in the South Atlantic 2004 and the record hurricane season of 2005 in the Caribbean Basin. Extreme floods in El Salvador and just, it just goes on and on and on. And they're kind of just getting the worst of it basically. From disaster after disaster and how they recover is astronomical. And we're not even aware of this happening to them and they are the most vulnerable. They pick themselves up. Whereas if something like this were to happen in the United States, we would see it all over the news, all over social media, all over magazines for the people that still read the magazines. It's insane that, you know, huge, wealthy countries such as America is mostly responsible for huge amounts of gas emissions that are resulting in extreme climate change. And this is happening to them. It's unbelievable that we don't even have any sort of compensation or responsibility to care for them as well as for damaging them. Now there are a couple of miniature quotes that I want to read that kind of hit home as to how people are actually living and experiencing the climate change disasters. So this is from Lucia Cuispe 38 from Capi Bolivia. They say, they are going to suffer the last days. There is no water. I am 67 years old, and I'm not going to suffer as I'm going to die. But the other villagers, yes, they will suffer. That's why I'm so upset that there is not going to be any water. I'm going to live another 10, 15 years, but the others? I'm not going to see it. But the young will witness the end of Ilamani. I like how concerned Lucia is to the future generations, even though they know they're not going to be here for that long. But just the fact of knowing themselves that, you know, their community is going to suffer the consequences of no water. It's just unbearable to think about sometimes because even though it's not happening to you personally or to anybody today, it's the fact that it will happen is what scares people the most. And I like how unselfish Lucia is because I think the same way. You know, just because I'm not going to be here in 2100, meaning, doesn't mean that there's not going to be people living, children thriving, animals, they're going to suffer as well. 
that they are going to have to, you know, go through the consequences and try to figure out a problem or figure out a solution to the problem we caused during the Industrial Revolution. So, yeah, I just really wanted to bring that up. Uh, temperatures in regions are just changing drastically and it's affecting Latin America's agriculture. Whether it's too much rainfall or too little rainfall, it's, I quote, a survey of rural populations in Peru found that changing rainfall patterns had a severe effect on 53% of respondents' ability to produce food. 53% had a severe effect. This is very stressful for people that work in agriculture and people that consume from agriculture. What are you going to do when, you know, farmers are having a hard time growing food and unable to produce food to feed people? It's all, it's all a chain. Everything connects to one another. And if one thing, you know, the source and basis of our food is having problems, then we're all going to have problems. So we need to pay attention and care for those people that are working so hard to defy climate change. So hard to control something that's out of their hands. Demographic pressures, I quote, as a result of rural to urban migration have led to unemployment and unsanitary conditions resulting in the spread of infectious diseases. This kind of brought, I kind of think about the pandemic, how it might have been a factor of climate change, just because it's so new and out of our realm. Think about that. Is climate change responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic. I've heard that from other individuals that the melting of the ice has released diseases and what's the other word? Diseases and viruses into our society. And it makes me think this wouldn't have occurred out of nowhere, but you know, there's research done that says that the virus came from animals and humans being in contact with bats and so and so. But could it be due to the due to climate change? We're seeing a bunch of other Factors such as, you know, the floods, hurricanes, tornadoes. How would a virus play that role? Just, you know, put a pin on it. 
Uh, moving on, I want to talk about how Miguel from Mexico also had something to say about climate change that I found very impactful and needed to be heard by other individuals. Miguel says, My grandfather, father and I have worked these lands. The times have changed. The rain is coming later now, so that our food produces less. The only solution is to go away, at least for a while. Each year, I'm working from I'm working for five, three to five months in Wyoming. That's my main source of income. But leaving my village forever? No. I was raised here, and I will stay. This made me think of my own hometown. I'm from Sacramento. I'm now living in Lanark Park. And sometimes I do miss Sacramento, even though I know there's greater opportunities outside of it. But to never, ever go back, I would be devastated. To never see my home, my streets, and where I grew up, where my family lived, my cousins, high school friends, to never see it again. And you know, it gets to you. So why can't we think like that for other people? You know, it's it's really hard for them to just, you know, see it with their own eyes disappear. And it's, it's literally none of their fault. It's these enormous fossil fuel companies pushing and pushing gas emissions, CO2, and worsening the climate. And it's up to the community to kind of figure out what they have to do next out of their own pocket. It's, it's so sad to think about. So I, want, I wanted to share that with you as well. To kind of put yourself in their shoes and think about how sad it would be to never see your home again. So that's what I have from this article, Moving Stories, Latin America. The next article I'd like to touch on is called Climate Change Sets People on the Moon. Alright, so stay tuned for the next one. The last article I would like to discuss is climate change sets people on the move. This article discusses one climate change disaster that is pretty well known to others, but maybe not known as, you know, due to climate change, due to fossil fuel gas emissions. 
which is Hurricane Maria that happened in Puerto Rico. Super devastating. It's just one of those hurricanes that have made extremely powerful due to high CO2 in the atmosphere. And, um, scientists are, you know, saying heat waves and droughts and floods have just become more powerful nowadays in recent years because of, you know, the gas, gas emissions. The extra energy is, is making dramatic weather in California because we have had one of the most well-known driest period of drought that didn't end until recently. And Washington has one of the highest records of being one of the wettest years they've encountered. It's pretty detrimental that people think, oh, it's raining a lot harder than last year. It's not just that it's raining a lot harder than last year. It's that it's going to keep raining harder and harder in the next upcoming years. How do we make peace with that? Can we make peace with that? How do we deal with how we commute? If it's raining so hard, we can't even step outside our door. However, farmers have to deal with so much more than us living in the city and driving to work. They have to work outside. And if they have to deal with weather, um, weather, 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 weather climates, drier climate, they can't turn on you know, a heater, they can't put a roof over their heads to tend the crops, tend the cattle that they have. They have to endure climate change so much more than people living in the city. So that's another thing to take into account. Climate change also affects the poorest people the most and richest countries the less because of how we live and how our houses are structured. We you know rich people still endure the effects of climate change, just not as extreme as if you were to live in a house you constructed yourself. So that's another thing to take into account. Here I quote from the article. In August 2016, residents of Shishmaref, Alaska, voted to abandon the island on which their village sat. The loss of Arctic sea ice had left the island vulnerable to coastal erosion. Houses had already been lost to storms and seas. 
more mature you follow. How would you feel if your house was floated away, sunk into the ocean? And you can't, you can't have it back anymore. It's devastating that people are experiencing this as recent as today. So, when people need to relocate to another area in order to keep their families together, sometimes they're not even wanted because they lost their homes. People are still mean to people from other you know, areas, countries, races, religions, despite of their situation. So when we see a large migration of people relocating due to climate change, it's not any different than saying people are migrating due to violence and wars. They still need help. They still need our support. So why, why is migration such, such a complicated thing for people to comprehend, especially if you're looking for refuge? They, they're not going through the same things people who have lost their homes, have lost everything their environment, their community, their traditions, their culture. There's also challenges that they have to deal with when they integrate into a new society. They have to find new jobs, a new place to live. And they also have to deal with the fact that, you know, the trauma that they just endured. How do they get to see their family if they left them all behind. What if they didn't want to go with them? Yeah, they can call and they can FaceTime, but it's not, it's not the same. Just like, you know, if your home were to sink or go up in the flames, it's not the same anymore. It's the land is just, it's been disintegrated at that point. The migrants can provide knowledge and skills in their new society, in their new resettlement. They can contribute to their society by starting their own businesses and paying taxes and sharing their own culture. Eventually, you know, they start inheriting the new culture that they have learned where they are staying at. So, there's always benefits. There's always seeing the bright side to something as devastating as this. Individuals can do their part, such as, you know, using walls to air conditioners or walking to the store instead of driving, but we all know 
who's most responsible for relocation, adaptation. It's a large fossil fuel company who are doing the most damage, who are the most responsible. We turn a blind eye when things like Hurricane Maria happen. They don't have any sort of remorse of the families that they have separated and forced to move. And I feel like this podcast kind of brought a better sense of how these people are truly going through that. And I'm glad they're making it. And I hope this is beneficial to whoever's listening and has a better sense of how climate change impacts individuals in their workplace, in their education, and their livelihood. I thank you for listening and have a great day.